0: Recognise the fact that you and I look slightly different. Recognise the fact that we have the same uh, uh, knowledge, brains, or all of those things. Uh, and call me a black African. Call me that I'm black, uh, Yuan, because otherwise, if you try to avoid that the whole time, you're a racist.
1: From Positive Momentum, this is Meet the CEO. A show that takes you behind the scenes of the working lives of people who've reached what some might call the pinnacle of the career ladder. I'm Matt Crabtree, the founder of Positive Momentum, and on today's show we meet Johan van Zyl, the CEO of multi-award-winning specialist care provider Cornerstone Healthcare. Now, Cornerstone provide for vulnerable people who present with challenging behaviours associated with complex neurodegenerative and mental health needs and as you're going to hear there's an enormous unmet demand for this type of care here in the UK that Johann's team is doing their level best to fill by building a network of homes that give their residents comfort and their relatives confidence. Now, core of their success is their ability to attract and retain high calibre staff. And it's especially challenging when the UK care sector has more than 150,000 current vacancies. Cornerstone's induction, ongoing training and reward strategies have enabled them to reduce staff churn to levels well below industry average. Now, Before co-founding Cornerstone with his colleague Dara, Johan has led organisations in the fields of finance, economic empowerment, management restructuring and project development For international companies in diverse places like South Africa, Russia, the UK, Canada, Tanzania, Ethiopia, Rwanda, Burundi, Burkina Faso, the DRC, Sudan, Mozambique, and Japan. So as a very experienced business leader, I started out, as we always do, on Meet the CEO by asking Johan why he became a CEO. Uh,
0: I never, never wanted to be a CEO i uh, forty years ago back in South Africa where I grew up we uh, uh, we didn't even know the terminology CEO to be quite honest with you uh, it 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 uh, you know you wanted to be a managing director of your company you know and we all were very entrepreneurial on those days uh, it was just uh, when uh, the apartheid uh, government was nearing its end it was in the last four, five years before 89, when things have changed a lot. And uh, uh, I was involved in a a group that were very much uh, working towards the formalizing of your informal business sector. That was your uh, black entrepreneurs. Uh, I didn't even think of this being a CEO at the time. I was just always uh, called a natural leader. Also what I hated, Uh, I was the class captain uh, in school from my earliest days. Uh, but, but you know, uh, the, 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 the the people thought, oh, lucky guy. No, I hated it because all my mates were doing the wrong things and were messing up and I had to always be the, you know, the guy that is, uh, uh, you know, the, the responsible guy. And I hated it. And then I went to university and I was hoping that I will uh, now, you know, lose that. Uh, and, uh, you know, very quickly I was... Uh, uh, our tennis uh, club had a professor as a chairman and then i was selected as the vice chairman i was bloody 19 years sorry i was 19 years old uh, and i didn't want to you know so I, I decided to be a very bad student just to show everyone that uh there's there's no such thing as a, as a you know a, a responsible guy in this man uh, and uh, you know then then i take it from there uh a career uh, uh, and it took me over a lot of different fields over those years because it, it was such a wide uh, range of anything from uh, to transport for people that didn't want to use the formal government transport that was given to them through buses. We started using minibuses, right through to uh, petrol supply to 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 taxis and formalizing, and then starting uh, uh, helping uh, our uh, friends. Uh, Uh, in obtaining a banking license, and we got to obtain a full bank license. But still, I wasn't the CEO. I was just the consultant, uh, the guy that (laughs) fronted. We were fronting for our uh, uh, clients that trusted us. We trusted them. And we were, yeah, our companies were, were owning the banking license because black people were not allowed to own banking licenses in those days. And that is how we progressed. Mining, then for me uh, from there, and uh, then healthcare uh, um, in uh, 19, uh, 2011, 2012. I started in, in healthcare, and it's only then that I became a CEO. Uh, I was given the title of CEO, and, I, and I, by, by the way, you know, sometimes I was wondering how I got from mining into healthcare. Please, I'm glad you don't ask that question. Because I, I, <laughs> I there's, there's plenty of famous ones from sales in South Africa, and I'm not that one. Uh, there's a, and I and I, I still no, believe till no. today that they appointed the wrong ones from sale. But uh, uh, I'm so glad they did because uh, healthcare then, you know, became part of me. Uh, I became the CEO, and uh, all of a sudden, I thought, oh, this fits me. Uh, <laughs> I, I I'm not good with authority. So perhaps that's why it's good uh, for only one day a month when you have your board meeting and you have a boss there. Uh, you know, the rest of the 29 days of a month or 30 days of a month, you know, I am the guy leading a team. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think, you know, this is this is why I can say I uh, never wanted to be a CEO, got the title uh, 10, 12, 11 years ago, uh, but enjoying the job, you know, enjoying leading people officially.
1: Good. I, it sounds like from the people that you've grown up with through your life, it, it's only really a surprise to you that you're a CEO. Everybody around you, I suspect, is going, well, we always knew that was going to happen. That was that was always your destiny by the sounds of it. Even when you were 19 trying to wriggle out of the vice chairman role, it looks like <laughs> it was always your destiny. What brought you um, to the UK? Yeah, and I know we are, for our listeners, we're speaking to Johan today in South Africa because he's visiting family. but you're based here now and have based, been based here for some time. Having worked in Russia, in Canada, in Tanzania, Ethiopia, Rwanda, Burundi, Burkina Faso, Democratic Republic of Congo, Sudan, Mozambique, and even Japan, how did you end up landing in the UK, if you don't mind sharing that with us?
0: I just want to make one thing. I, I never worked in Japan. Uh, uh, we were just doing a Japanese, uh, the Datsun, uh, the, the, the old Datsun, Nissan, Toyota consulting work in the Got taxi it. industry, but the other yeah, rest, I, I, I worked there. Wow. Uh, it, 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 by accident, like my whole career, uh, I'm <laughs> becoming a CEO is uh, that I met the uh, CEO or the owner, actually the founder and owner of a company, a healthcare company once at a, a birthday party in London, uh, never knew it before, you know, from before, uh, we, uh, struck up a good conversation. I told her how I turned companies around, and specifically the, the mining company that I was working for at the time uh, in, in, in East Africa. And uh, then I received a phone call from her that say, look, we're moving from a small company to a medium-sized company. I want somebody that have that knowledge. And it was always supposed to be a temporary job. to uh, But I wanted to come to the UK. I have a lot of friends here. Uh, uh, and uh, relationships, and and I wanted to move to the UK, and I grabbed the opportunity. Uh, while and I'm still in healthcare, but that is basically how I uh, how I g- g- came to the UK is to temporarily uh, assist a company and restructure them to take them to the next level. Uh, because it was a family owned. It's a family owned company, and they just wanted me to bring the younger generation into the company. Uh, yeah, that was that was it. That was again. That's why um, I mean nobody can no, nobody can blame me to say I never uh, thought of becoming a CEO. But uh, yeah, I'm happy to be a CEO at the moment. I, I really am.
1: Well, we're very we're very happy to have you in the UK, and especially given how important the service that Cornerstone Healthcare provides is, and it seems to have growing significance. We are very happy that you and your team are there, and. Uh, you know, take it so seriously. Um, talk to us a little bit about the day-to-day, Johan, for you. L- regular listeners to meet the CEO will have got used to this question about what's sacrosanct in your day-to-day. Do you have any sort of things in your day-to-day that you really protect that you say, well, it doesn't really matter what's going on in the business agenda, this I stick to. This is a routine that's that's part of the way I, I operate. Is there anything like that in your day-to-day?
0: Uh, I have to create uh, that for myself. I have a a very open-door policy, and I know that is a term that's overused uh, in business, and it's overused by anyone that has a title of manager behind their name or in front of their name. Uh, But I have an open-door policy, and I even if there's an opportunity, uh, previously our head office was uh, in a basement of one of our care homes. So uh, people thought it's easier to see me to see the general manager of the Cairo, So, for you know, so the guys popped in and out, and, and I was chatting to them because they thought I'm not busy. They thought that the general manager of the carer was more busy than me. Uh, and I enjoyed it. I, it. It just specifically in the beginning days that I learned to, 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 to work with this. Uh, and it stayed ever since now we have a fancy uh, head office. Uh, and it's still like that. I'm always available for staff. I put in long hours. Uh, but... So one thing I'm creating my own uh, quiet time thinking is I like driving. And uh, the roads in the UK are so great uh, that, you know, you can go on a road, uh, concentrate obviously on the driving. Let me just put it there, <laughs> out there. That I, I concentrate on the driving. But then I, I think. Uh, I hate uh, to give someone a lift so my colleagues know that they uh, – when we go we for instance have developments in Bristol and Somerset at the moment and uh, we're going to the same meetings and perhaps not good for the environment or for cost uh, for the company but I don't take someone with me I drive and that's my time when I'm thinking planning and my best ideas even the the the, the idea of Cornerstone came up uh, while I was driving to Wales Uh, I was uh, I I took a couple of uh, days out driving to Wales and uh, there it struck me what is really needed for the healthcare sector. And this is this uh, very small niche group of uh, people that is out there that suffer from a progressive neurological condition, but also have a mental health diagnosis. You know, in the, in the past, a lot of people thought that, uh, you know, if someone is in a mental health system, uh, through schizophrenia or what, a diagnosis like that, that uh, they... Don't nobody thought that they will dement as well. They will uh, get one of the uh, progressive neurological uh, illnesses, and uh, they just were just classified as are they getting more more and more difficult the older they get. Uh, and we realize it's not true. So uh, the way we treat people in Cornerstone is also to concentrate on uh, that progressive neurological condition, and because we're quite good in it. But to get back to your question. I create those areas where I, you know, with that time where, no, I'm not going to take a train. I'm driving. I don't want to speak to anyone. <laughs> I just want to drive. Don't call me when I'm in my car. That's the only time when I'm not accessible, except if there's a, a, if there's a, a, a emergency. And then it's only two people that can get through to me. It's by EA. Uh, and my business partner, Dara, that co-founded, want stand with me. But yeah, there's your answer. That That is yeah. a very unusual one, perhaps, but that is my time when I you know, putting is, things together.
1: It is unusual, it's unique. After after more than 50 of these uh, uh, podcast episodes, um, I, I, I was always unsure whether we're gonna get unique answers to things. And nobody's ever before, it's two things nobody's ever before said. <laughs> nobody's ever before said that the roads in the UK are so great. I suspect there are a number of Brits who went, you must be kidding. But I guess compared <laughs> to compared to some of the places you've been in the world, they're positively wonderful. So I get that's slightly surprising, but also that you think about things on uh, in the car. I bet you're not the only, of course, CEO or person of in any kind of role who has that sort of experience. And I, I get the the no uh, passenger thing. That's really interesting. And I know I've felt that sometimes, um, but perhaps never quite said it out loud. But it's such a good point. And um, by the way, also really fascinating to learn about Cornerstone Healthcare. We were chatting before we started recording. About my father's experience five six years ago, and he had that complexity, that dementia, but also you know other challenges. And the fact that you and Dara have built a business and are now are now growing a business to help that community, I think is just I can say as a relative, um, it's just a fantastic thing because because it, it we didn't have that experience, um, and uh, I I hope those families who are suffering similarly and and elderly people. I uh, can get more and more of your services. Um, but, um, uh, Adver, uh, over, let's talk a bit more about about <laughs> you as a CEO. Um, our third question is about challenging events. Um, uh, again, listeners will have grown used to it. We ask the question, what's the most challenging event you've encountered as a CEO and what have you learned from it? Of course, the pandemic must be a very, very recent memory and care homes were... All over the world at the very center of them, particularly here in the UK. I'm guessing that features pretty highly, but you've also done some pretty fascinating stuff um, elsewhere in your career. Is is it that, Johan, or, or have there been other examples? Uh,
0: no, it, it, it is COVID. Uh, uh, you know, uh, COVID, when COVID hit us, no one of us realized what was happening, uh, not our government. And I don't blame them. Not any government in the world knew what is happening. And and again, I, I, I there's no blame here uh, uh, because none of us knew. I, I was even arranging in the beginning of COVID that my daughter come over to visit me in the UK because uh, it's just uh, something that happened in China, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. But when it hit us hard, the day when I realized this is something very bad, I was watching a, a, a YouTube clip. Uh, at the time, and it was uh, it, it was in Italy where it was hit very hard at the beginning. And I saw uh, they, they had in the background Pavarotti singing a specific Nesab Dorma, and, and then they show the Italian uh, 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 Air Force throwing out, you know, the, the, uh, the Italian flag and flying it over. Mm-hmm. And I, all of a sudden, I realized how serious this is, and it hit me. Now, at the time we camped out, we went back to our basement in South Africa Lodge, hour. It's a 99-bed home. Uh, and uh, it was only me and three of the head office staff that uh, decided, right, we'll come in. The rest of the head office staff will work from home. But I want the staff to see my car in the car park on every shift that they uh, go, come on. So it was there 8 o'clock in the morning and it was there 8 o'clock at night.
1: Johan, yeah, the home is called South Africa, right? It's not in South Africa. That's right, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it's in Waterlooville, close to yeah. Portsmouth. Just for South our Africa, listeners.
1: L- and by the
0: way, I have nothing to do with the name. It was there since uh, after the Second oh, World really? War. Uh, oh. Yeah, yeah, no. My mum think I'm responsible for the name. And, <laughs> and she, told all her, she told all her friends that. But uh, no, I have nothing to do with the, with the, the name. But uh, yeah, very proud of them. But to, to, go, to go back to that, we had to... And there I saw my management style uh, can deal with crises. My 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 strategies to me and a strategic document to me for a five year plan means absolutely nothing. <laughs> uh, perhaps I'm the only one saying that. You're not. Uh, perhaps you're I'm... not.
1: You, 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 <laughs> might be, you might be one of the few saying it out loud, but you're not the only one who thinks it.
0: Well, well Matt, then I'm really grateful that I'm today on your show because <laughs> I always felt like I'll keep it to myself. But, uh, you, you know, if. if Covid reminded us of that. The 2008 banking crisis even reminded of that, because if you think about it, if everybody was ready for the 2008 banking crisis, most of, most probably would have been handled better. Uh, and so, and, and you know, this was with Covid, and Covid showed us uh, that you you must be able to take decisions very quickly. You must be able to to to, to decide now that uh and, and you know and and and. That's how we dealt with COVID on a daily basis. We were speaking. We had our management meetings in the morning on video, and uh, we were going through literally every aspect of the company from maintenance right through, because everything was, uh, at the time, uh, touched by the, the pandemic. Uh, I uh, I was very emotional during that time, and I have to admit that. I... Uh, uh, I our residents in a care company is always first, uh, absolutely their care. But it was also for me very, very important that our staff uh, uh, stays uh, out of the claws of, of, of this uh, uh, disease, uh, this, this virus, uh, because it would have been absolutely devastating for me if I lost one of my staff. These guys were so motivated to be there, every day at work. Uh, they were so motivated to to make sure. You, you know, I didn't have one member of staff that said to me, I'm, I'm afraid. Wow. Uh, not one of them said to me, I'm afraid. All of them said that I spoke to is, I wanted to be there because so-and-so became part of my family. One of the residents became part of my family, and I was the only link between them and my relatives, their relatives. You know, one of the saddest things that I heard when I spoke to uh, my team, and that's why I most probably say this is is the worst thing that I had to manage through, is the emotional stress that was put on staff. Uh, my staff was quite often by telephone, the link next to a bed of a dying relative with a family during that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you could just imagine the stress that I had to go through, and I always, because I, uh, my staff is the most important thing, uh, uh, the open door policy, all of that, I, uh, I just, it, it was so emotional for me during that time. Uh, but I didn't manage it as a CEO to make money at the time. I manage it as a human being looking after. I don't want to say my children because yes, I'm much older. I don't think there's anybody older than me in the company. I am definitely one of the older guys there, but it, th- they were really they were really uh, my team. I had to lead from the front, but I also had to check out on the back that some of them don't fall out because of pure exhaustion, mental health pressures. Uh, and I'm thankful to say all of them went through this. It was only afterwards that the Great Depression started, uh, like everybody else in the sector, uh, and that was quite a difficult fallout mm. afterwards to, to manage that. But yeah, without a doubt, COVID was plenty of other stuff I uh, I had to deal with uh, in the mining times. Uh, with uh, uh, We just uh, started deploying in South, South Sudan after their independence, and we had to move out our staff within three weeks because of rebel forces... Uh, 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 trying to take over that specific area of the country. COVID was much more difficult for me to manage. It was a, a war zone, and nobody knew when this war zone is going to finish. Mm-hmm. It was just on and on and on,
1: and, and we were all so insecure at the time. And no escape, right? No, Nowhere that you could escape to, and certainly with your kinds of of, of um, patients, they they need the care they need, and they needed to stay where they were. And I mean, we can hear the emotion in your voice, Johan. And it's both it's both touching, but also, you know, really informative for all of us who who listen and learn from these podcasts because we can all convince ourselves, can't we, that, you know, what we're doing is terribly important and, you know, terribly urgent and, you know, we're delivering for the mission. But it I I can't begin to imagine <laughs> what it must have been like to be in a care home, not just taking care of elderly people who are frightened, but elderly people who have any number of other complications that just in yeah. normal circumstances are challenging enough but then to add this it's it's hard to conceive of and um as i've said a couple of times you know thank goodness for people like your teams who take who took care because for for uh for re- relations it was it was an incredibly tough time um johan tell us a bit about influences around you who's most influenced the way you lead you you sounds like you've worked with many many thousands of people over the years in in several different industries and as we've said in lots of different parts of the world who who's had them who's had big impact on you and has has made you into the leader you are today that's a difficult
0: one to answer because i uh I'm always, uh, you know, I'm always learning from people. I, I, you know, from my most junior member of staff during my career right through. uh, Back in South Africa days, I was extremely privileged, although I only saw him once in six months, was to be on a trust or a foundation that were busy developing hopes for the poor in South Africa. And Archbishop Desmond Tutu was our chairman. Wow. Now, just, just the... Just the sheer knowledge that you have that man as your chairman, and like I say, I only saw him once in six months, uh, and to deal with him in the calmness, and you know, and with him on the uh, on the board was was a lady called Dr. Ellen Kuzwayo. Now, Dr. Ellen was one of the founders of the ANC Youth League uh, back in uh, Dr. Ellen must this uh, was, was pretty early nineteen. 19- I think 1920, 1930, uh, and, and I learned so much from this woman that, uh, you know, she was, before woman was recognized in Africa or in South Africa, she was she will come into a boardroom and she will only say one or two words and you will have direction. Uh, you know, and I was very privileged to learn from her. Over the years, I, uh, I, I must mention this guy's name because he was first a friend we were, always shouting at each other, sitting in a small office because he was a smoker. There's a man called Jabu Mabuza. Now, Jabu became one of the richest people in South Africa, in the new South Africa uh, a, a running a uh, large hotel group, amongst others, the very famous Sun City. Uh, uh, and, and, and Jabu taught me firstly, what is racism? We all knew, we always thought racism is, uh, oh, we don't use the word black. We don't uh, talk to about people that from colour, and then Java one day said to me, "John, that's when you're a racist, when you try to avoid the word black, the fact that I'm different than you, from my upbringing, and that I'm a different colour than you. You want that is racism. Recognise the fact that you and I look slightly different. Recognise the fact that we have the same uh, uh, knowledge, brains, or all of those things, uh, and." call me a black African, call me that I'm black, uh, Yuan, because otherwise, if you try to avoid that the whole time, you're a racist. And you know what, I learned so much from Jabu over the years, South Africa developed uh, uh, during that time. Sadly, uh, we lost him as a friend during COVID, which was a very sad, sad, sad thing. But yeah, you know, and if I come closer to the UK, then over my years, uh, okay, there's the obvious ones, we always, Warren Buffett, or, uh, you know, that, that, uh, that inspire you and things like that. But that's a bit far removed from your day-to-day life. And I'm a very simple man. You know, I, I like people to directly influence me. My, my, my business partner, Dara, that uh, Dara taught me how to be straightforward. Dara taught me to call a spade a spade. Dara taught me how to say no, uh, because that's one of my weaknesses. I'm very bad in saying no. And Dara taught me that. I taught Dara again a lot of other things, but Dara definitely taught me how to say no. So, yes, it's just the normal people that I dealt with on a daily basis that made a big influence in my life, you know, and I can go on and on, you know, during my career, but that's the ones I want to single out.
1: I I love that you finished by saying it's the normal people day to day, having started with um, Archbishop Tutu. (laughs) It's just a remarkable, (laughs) and to be i mean just to be in the same room as him even if it was only once must have been the most extraordinary experience but that that's you know not to avoid the stories about remarkable people who yeah. i mean the conversations with jabu sound just so oh, striking I mean. and and in recent years must have echoed with you as you know in in the uk we have and continue to try to do better in in that respect And those, I'm sure you have helped many uh, in the UK and in other places with the things that Jabu taught you. Um, Amazing, amazing stories. We could do a whole podcast about that, I'm feeling like, but but, uh, (laughs) you've got a busy day. (laughs) Let me ask you the next question, because some of these, I think, probably link together anyway executive teams you know you've been as, as you shared with us earlier you know ceo for the last sort of 10 15 years um and therefore you'll have had different flavors of executive teams over the over that time um you've mentioned dara a couple of times as a co-founder that must be a really helpful uh element of building executive teams what in your view is the secret to building that that really effective top team <laughs>
0: The, yeah look dora and i she was prepared to follow me uh, to start uh, Cornerstone healthcare she could have gone and work uh, keep on working for the previous company we worked for that's way, where we met each other or she could have gone and get a job in any of the top firms in the country healthcare companies but she decided that you know this idea is good and and uh, so I think, firstly, is to show leadership and your management team, you must see the people that believe in you. Because if you see people that distrust you, they're perhaps not the right people for your management team. Uh, that's the first thing. I, 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 I put a lot of emphasis on trust. I put a lot of emphasis in supporting each other. I believe that my management team are the guys advising me. Now, I know that is, again, uh, from many years before that many people say, no, I use people to advise me. I'm not the the cleverest guy in the room and I'm definitely not the cleverest guy in the room. So if you are my finance director, you must really, really, really know that I I depend on you hugely. I'm Not a good finance man. I'm very good in spotting things, but I'm not a good finance man. And for instance, our finance director, and it was for a long time uh, uh, until recently, that it was only me, Dora, and and then Jens, uh, our finance director, that were the executive team of Onestar, uh, And we did tremendous work over the last five years. But Jens was the man that I can always go to and trust with the numbers he gives me. He's the And, and uh, I quite often joke, and I was told many times, specifically by Jens, I often joke because I'm a very lazy man. Uh, I believe a good CEO must be very good in delegating. So I need a management team that can quickly pick up on my delegation, and and I love it when they preempt what I'm going to delegate back to them. I absolutely love it when they already have. uh, uh, But yeah, it it is trust. Trust, number one. We we are now building a management team uh, ready for uh, our first phase exit of the company. Um, You know, the contingencies of going forward, the normal stuff that your uh, uh, equity fund partner always uh, would like to see. uh, And but the major thing the whole time when we make an appointment, now we have recently an ops director, we have a director for uh, the uh, commissioning of our new care homes, it was the trust, uh, the guys with initiative, uh, and then I would like to see them leading their teams. Uh, and if they, I always say, if they survive me and Dara over the first year, uh, and I don't mean it in a way that we difficult. It's just a way in w- how we demand their passion yep. uh, for our business. That is where uh, I then say, right, this guy definitely can go forward with us. Yep. Uh, I believe they they must believe in our passion because that is what Cornerstone was. was founded on the foundations of, of of passion, and that's where I that's what I see in a, in a management team.
1: Yeah, that's, that's lovely. I mean, it, it, this that is a common theme, right? So trust, thank goodness throughout these episodes has, has always been a common theme. I think sometimes it feels a bit like the Holy Grail. I think sometimes it feels like yes. that's, that's obviously what we need, but goodness me, how do we get there? I think what's really interesting, though, what we just said is the last bit about, you know, can you get through the first year? And as you say, it's not about it being a tough place, but it's about it being really understood why we're here and why we why we exist yeah. what are it's a somewhat overused uh, word but what are purposes as an organization and do we really buy into it and i think there's a there's a stereotype about about the care industry is that it has been you know exploited for financial gain yeah. and that and that therefore you know in some places i'm thinking you know i don't know enough about the industry But hearing from a leader like you, and I'm sure Dara speaks equally passionately about the purpose and the COVID example couldn't illustrate it better, I hope gives anybody who might have had a bit of cynicism about it, but perhaps not ever listened to someone like you before, real hope that there are, I suspect, many, many people across the care industry who... Of course, see it as a vehicle for economic gain, but that that is in no way in contradiction with serving your your community well. And and I guess you look hard for that in that in that tr- that important first year. I think that's what you mean by survive, you and Dara, right?
0: That that is that is exactly what I mean. I, I expect them to be as crazy in love with this company and what we do as we are. Uh, if i could call it that when i can i want to add uh, our finance director as part of the exec team yeah he, he you know you don't often see it from finance guys sorry for the finance guys i'm also <laughs> like a failed accountant if i must give my background away but this 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 man gets involved in Helping me with if there's helping us with if there's a maintenance issue and and we need to spend capital he's the first guy that go in, uh, go in and, and understand what is happening why we need to spend this money and and work out ways how we can spend it uh, and that that is the kind of passion that I you know each one in its own field can show the passion for what we're doing you know I are going to say something controversial and that is that uh, healthcare companies, must have the passion. Firstly, secondly, because there's not enough money going around from government and local authorities, uh, that we need equity funds. Yeah. We mustn't see the equity funds as evil guys trying to exploit the care sector. Uh, in fact, uh, and and I'm 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 very grateful for the uh, this equity the equity fund ignite growth. That uh, that is our equity partners. These guys have so much ethics. Uh, uh, but we must remember, we must give them a return on their money. They, 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 they do put a lot of money in on a lot of risk. Uh, and uh, so there must be a financial return. But now I want to draw a, 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 and say with a lot of respect care companies, especially, especially specialist care companies, mustn't be too big. Uh, Interesting. I really and, and and with the greatest respect of go with guys that are CEOs of, of, of the largest companies and you know that was founded and it, they build it out to four thousand beds and things like that and even more I know there's some companies with that's bigger than that but in a way I think your quality of care is better if you I believe in max five hundred beds I know my company has the potential uh, with the demand that we have mm-hmm. to grow. You know, sky's the limit with how many beds. Uh, you know, I say that there's about fifteen thousand beds only needed in England to support the care model that we are working with. But I don't. I never believe that a company must be larger than about a thousand beds, because then the CEO and the executive team lose the touch mm. uh, of, of of quality and the importance of passion and the importance that you work with people you don't have a layer of, of management now look uh, large companies must have a layer of management group because mm. you have a, ba- a, a very wide bandwidth mm. that you but uh, that you need but uh, i believe that if you want to really promote quality in care that is when uh, you try to contain the sizes of the uh, the size of a of a healthcare company uh, that i know it's very controversial and, 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 and no means disrespectful to the guys that run big companies it is just my feeling that you know, you can do better when you have your hand on everything. Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's such a fascinating topic. Again, it feels like a whole other podcast. I've got about 20 questions in my head about that <laughs> because, because actually, you do see that in other organizations. And actually, you know, some of our, you know, we're very lucky to work with some very large organizations. And interestingly, when I think about your answer, the ones who are very large, have divisionalized to the extent that you've got a, somebody who's acting as CEO, is acting as owner of an individual business. And so this whole growth and how you scale, and I'm sure your equity partner thinks about it a lot, how you scale, but how you keep the most senior people in the organization close to it, I'm now going off in my head thinking about all of that. We need to talk another day. I'm gonna, I'm gonna explore that with you another time. But your time is short. I would
0: love to. <laughs> We're
1: great. We've only got a few minutes left, so I, I'm, I'm anxious to get my last couple of questions. Big changes um, on the horizon is my penultimate question. As you look forward to the next. 6, 12, 18, 36 months, what's big for you? You've hinted at uh, investment in the organization that's on public record that you've taken an equity partner and you've mentioned them. Uh, is that is that the biggest change or is, or is there, are there other things on your mind?
0: Well, look, the first phase of the company was uh, uh, that your investors invest. They want to, at one stage, uh, exit. That is how your equity funds work. Uh, the idea was a five-year plan, uh, investors usually three to five years stay, COVID interrupted, uh, a lot of things were put back, it, was, it went to, to, to seven years that we, I think, when we will really exit, uh, when our uh, equity funds will exit. So that second phase, uh, we want to deliver 350 bets in uh, the first phase, uh, and we're going to achieve it with the two new developments that's nearly completed in Bristol and Somerset, We will have nearly 360 beds. The next uh, planning, and I said I don't plan far ahead uh, because it might be much more, but the or much less. But the the next phase that I would like to take a new developer, a new uh, investor to is uh, to 500 beds uh, very quickly uh, because we have land in place for further developments. So the next phase to me is is is, uh, to go to 500 beds from there. Uh, Obviously, uh, yeah. Well, we'll we'll have to see. Then I'm nearly, you know, I don't want to give my age away, but uh, older than sixty-five. So you know,
1: forty-five, something like that by then. So yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Huge mistake there with now calculating, you know. But but that's where a company is going. We want to have it slightly more geographically spread across the company because currently uh, we have residents as far as Newcastle in our home in Portsmouth because. We are the only guys doing what we're doing on a a full scale. We don't have any diversified uh, fields that we operate in. Uh, So I would like to see, and that is the next step, to geographically spread cornerstone healthcare a little bit wider across the country. That You don't have a guy from Newcastle to go to Portsmouth, but, but that the guy from Newcastle can only go uh a, a couple of miles away you know to a care uh, facility of ours a long way so yeah us. that is the next step and that's the next the, the next plans to to develop yes
1: and it sounds Johan like you build from scratch you're not buying property or care homes and then renovating them or are you is are you
0: uh if you find the right one uh let me just start at the beginning when we bought uh the two care homes to start cornerstone healthcare we bought the 99-bed home, the famous South Africa Lodge mm-hmm. by now. Uh, that was an original business, and then a home in uh, in, in in Southampton. But from there, uh, we uh, took a home that uh, we referred, but it was a new home that just needed to be a bit of a, a adapting. And then also, uh, we are... Uh, uh, then we are also, you know, from there, was thinking uh the, the, the next step is let's build now, the major reason why we started developing our own homes is we couldn't find the right ones right. to do uh, a refurb that will, it would have cost too much uh, because I think nowadays uh, people that try to put their homes on the market for sale or actually running uh, their homes without ensuite full ensuite bathrooms, is it's not right to our residents. And that's why we decided let's develop our own. Uh, Quite interestingly, we are now taking over a a, a, a lovely empty uh, convent. I won't uh, disclose mm. where, well, uh, which is absolutely, absolutely the, the most beautiful place. And we're going to to develop it inside. It's nearly there. Actually, we don't have to do mo- a lot of work, but let's say we have to put 2, uh, two million uh, capital into it to, to get it exactly how we want it. Uh, and you know what? Where can you get closer to being a green to a, a environmental-friendly development in taking an existing place and change it to uh, instead of starting to build from scratch. So yeah. that's how I see it. So, yeah, we are doing it at the moment, yeah.
1: And I'm figuring a beautiful place as well, because some, sometimes oh, these places are a little soulless. I don't mean to be mean, but, I mean, going, yeah. driving up to see your relative in a, in a, what sounds like a fabulous property, that's oh. something
0: it stole my heart when i parked in front of the place i didn't realize i could park inside today when i uh, looked at it uh, and uh, i just you know this the trees and the uh, and the absolute serenity of this place was just bowling me over i i'm not going to tell them that but they could have charged what they wanted and i would have been <laughs> considering it very well and uh, uh you know it was just uh it was just absolutely the the sister in charge that met me at the door took me through I was just sold on this beautiful place. Uh, yeah, no, no. I, I think that will be one of our absolute best developments. Oh, I love without that. Break, without, uh, without breaking ground, you wow. know, without breaking ground.
1: Wow, fantastic! Listen, it's, this has been, uh, you know, one of the most soulful uh, episodes of Meet the CEO we've had. I've loved talking to you, but it is my final quick question for you because I know you're on a timeline. Three quick bits of advice for anybody who's aspiring to be a CEO you know many people who listen to this and I mean, you know we have plenty of CEOs who listen to this but also plenty of people who are thinking well, I wonder if that's in my future in one way or another what what would you say if you're thinking about it what are your last quick bits of advice for anybody in that situation
0: The first thing is uh don't expect a work life balance if you if you want to be a CEO uh Leading a company and, well, only in my case, only 400 people, uh, there's no work-life balance. You are married to your work, unfortunately, but that you must expect. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other one is uh, I have a principle where I believe we all have ideas, we implement it, and then we see it's not working, but we're flogging this dead horse to work. Uh, And then five years down the line, we said, well, all right, well, it didn't work. I believe if you fail, fail fast. So in other words, pull the plug immediately if you see it's not working. You know, three strikes and you out, I would say two strikes new out and you and out at this specific project, you can uh, fail fast. That's the other one I believed in. And then the third one is just absolutely appreciate the people working with you because your biggest asset, and I – oh, such a cliche, but I mean it when I say it, your biggest asset is those members of st- staff that are uh, – taking your company
1: forward and making something of your company, Uh, you can't do it on your own. Johan, what a pleasure it has been um, talking to you today. Thank you so much um, for being a guest on our podcast. To go from um, discussions about not giving people lifts to Archbishop Desmond Tutu to converting a convent has been such a wide, varied and unique conversation. Um, I've really enjoyed it I hope our listeners um, have really enjoyed it too, thank you so much for being part of the podcast, best wishes to you and your team at at Cornerstone Healthcare in the terribly important endeavour that you are engaged in, we wish you the very very greatest of success but for now just thanks again for being part of this Thank you
0: Matt and it's a real privilege to have met you and uh, to be on your programme, thanks a lot
1: Well, what a fascinating conversation that turned out to be. We've heard many times on Meet the CEO, haven't we, about the challenges of leading organisations through the pandemic, but I suspect we only heard the very tip of what I'm sure was a traumatic period for Johan and his team, and yet you can hear in his voice an undiminished passion for providing such important care. He's the first CEO to tell us that he does his best thinking in the car, and I suspect he'll be the only CEO to ever compliment us on UK roads, but I totally get what he means about driving being good thinking type. Personally, I love a good podcast, a bit like this one, but I've lost count of the number of times I've actually stopped listening and just been thinking about something else that the podcast triggered. I bet that no five-year strategy comment triggered some of us, but... Whatever side of that argument you sit, we later discovered that Johan clearly lacks for nothing when it comes to vision and a clear sense of what the business can and in fact should become. It's the first time I've heard a CEO talk about the challenges of getting ever larger, and so refreshing to hear that. And yet more first, getting Archbishop Desmond Tutu mentioned on one of our episodes is not something I ever thought would happen, but yet again, we see that the very best CEOs I've not only learned from a very wide range of influences but just as importantly continue to do so so while johan goes off for a solo drive home we'll say thank you to him and best wishes to all at Cornerstone Healthcare. And of course, thanks especially to you for listening. If you're a new listener and Johan has got you thinking, then please go and peruse our past episodes. And of course, click that subscribe button on your platform of choice. If you're a regular, thanks so much. And remember, if you like what we're doing, tell others. And if you don't, well, tell us. Meantime, best wishes in all your endeavours and look forward to welcoming you to the next episode of Meet the CEO from Positive Momentum.